Welcome to the Cambridge Judge Business School Podcast Centre. Underpinning Pakistan's numerous political problems is its troubled economy. Those are the words of Cambridge Judge Business School's Dr. Kamal Munir in his paper What Pakistan Needs to Do to Reverse Its Economic Decline. He says that despite having 170 million people at their disposal and limitless natural resources, governments have failed to develop a manufacturing economy that can add value to abundant raw material or a middle class that can provide domestic demand. The contribution of Pakistan's manufacturing sector to the GDP has not grown in the recent past. In fact, it has shriveled alarmingly over the last two years. Dr Munir, an advisor to the Pakistan government on industrial policy, says that if his country's political troubles are to disappear, or at least decline, then five major hurdles or roadblocks must be overcome. He outlined the policies that he and his colleagues are proposing. There are two broad sets of policies that we are advocating. One is a set which is cross-cutting policies. So unless you fix these things, really uh, you cannot develop industry. For example, a basic ingredient for industry are utilities, power. You need power, you need electricity, you need uh, gas you know, to run these uh, furnaces or factories and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, in the mid-90s, Pakistan adopted an energy policy which has not really uh, served it well. And it was a massive privatization of energy production in Pakistan, except that it did not have the key benefit that privatization brings, which is competition, where we all compete for a particular consumer, where there's a merchant market for electricity. Um, So that did not happen. I mean, the government just signed individual deals with a lot of power producers, guaranteeing them their profits. So there was absolutely, you know, no incentive for these um, uh, power producers to be efficient in any way or to pass on their their profits to the consumers. You talk about prohibitively high tariffs and and indeed uh, daily load shedding or, or electrical failures. Yes, yes. So, I mean, it's quite ironic that there's about 40% excess capacity for electricity production in Pakistan, and yet there are daily shortages. And that is because of the economic system around production, which which leads to that. I mean, I remember Thomas Edison used to say that electricity is going to become so cheap that only the rich will burn candles. And so now we can make electricity, and yet we have developed a system around it, an economic system around it, which prohibits uh, the poor, or even the industry in this case, from using electricity as much as uh, they would like. In fact, domestic tariffs in Pakistan are cheaper than industrial tariffs. So there is increased disincentive for industry. You say that if Pakistan's political troubles are to one day disappear or at least to reduce, it's crucial that it overcomes five roadblocks. Now, the power and the energy supply is one mm-hmm. of them. Yes. Um, uh, but, but the other is rising inequality across the regions. That's right. And what we find is that in terms of basic education, in terms of uh, health facilities, in terms of road network, there is rising disparity across regions in Pakistan, which is fueling uh, not just an economic um, difference, but also social unrest and political unrest. And indeed, it is in some of those areas which are left behind, you know, that we see a lot of this political unrest coming from. You talk about Pakistan's industry being squeezed by escalating interest rates, close to 16% of cost of borrowing. 
Yes, definitely. And that reflects, you know, incessant borrowing uh, from the government to meet deficits. And a lot of that money is circulating uh, in in the economy uh, as cash, which also leads to high inflation. And the other reason, of course, is low tax to GDP ratio. Um, if you're powerful in Pakistan, you don't pay taxes. And it's as simple as that. And if you're also concerned with agriculture, you don't pay taxes. So about 23%, 25% of GDP comes from agriculture. So that is tax-free. The tax collection system itself is corruption-riddled. You know, I mean, so the wealthy are not uh, taxed and hence their wealth is not distributed in in society. So that's that that is an issue. High markups. As a result, we have high markups, which prevent businesses from coming in. If you're borrowing at 18 percent, you know, you should be making 25 percent, 30 percent to go into business. And really, I mean, there are very few business models which will allow you to do that. And all this, of course, is compounded uh, by forever increasing electricity prices and shortages of gas and electricity and shortage of skilled labor as well. From what you're saying, new enterprises are not going to turn up and, not, and entrepreneurs are not going to develop new enterprises. Absolutely. I think there is deindustrialization that is taking place in Pakistan. The odds are heavily stacked up against uh, new industrialization. Now, I was shocked because your your fourth roadblock, and you identify it as being perhaps most important, and that is that Pakistan suffers from a massive deficiency of skilled labor, and that only 50% of the population is literate. I mean, it is shocking, isn't it? I mean, this is the 21st century, and uh, you have a population which, you know, 50%, one out of two people cannot even read. Of course, the government's figures, you know, might be slightly better, but only slightly. They might say that, you know, I mean, 40% of our population is illiterate, and... Uh, but they will also employ perhaps the broadest ever you know, definition of literacy. If you can sign your name, you're considered literate. And uh, so absolutely, I mean, that in turn affects industry because, you know, whether it's textiles or it's pharmaceuticals, there are chronic shortages of trained human resource. Uh, the generic educational base uh, is missing. I mean, compare the textile industry in Pakistan with the textile industry in Sri Lanka, for example, a much smaller country doing better in uh, textiles because a stitcher uh, in a knitwear unit might actually have A-levels as a basic education. And a stitcher, you know, competing stitcher in a Pakistani factory might only have primary education or not even uh, that. So it makes a huge difference, you know, how sophisticated a product these people can make. Can they learn from manuals? Uh, can they read instructions or not? So, you know, I mean, there are, there are very soon you hit a ceiling. Literacy and numeracy are, are absolutely vital, as you say. That requires education. That requires education, but what is also important to note here is that in order for the education to pay dividends to the country, you need to have a driver, which is industry. If you don't have industry as a driver and you educate people, most of these people, you know, are going to leave the country. And there's going to be severe brain drain. And we saw that happening in Latin America. In East Asia, on the other hand, they had industry as a driver, so they could actually reap the benefits of their investment into education. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? Educate somebody, train somebody, and they will go somewhere else. That is the, yes. that is the, the danger. That's right. It could easily become a virtuous circle, of course. You know, if you have industry, then that will, you know, put uh, pressure upstream on educational institutions, which is, you know, I mean, if you look at MIT, for example, there used to be companies which would go to MIT or the Defense Department, they would go to MIT and they would say, you know, we need people with such and such skills. They they would say, we don't have the lab. So we'll give you money to set up the lab because there was a genuine need in the economy 
for this kind of thing. So unless there is this driver, you could, um, you know, you could pump in a lot of money into higher education and a lot of those people will um, leave the country, which is happening in Pakistan. You use the word chronic to talk about governance. Is it that bad? Yes. I mean, especially for the last 30 years or so, uh, where the thinking has very much been quite short term and uh, many of the hard decisions have not really been taken. When they were taken, you know, in the 70s or 60s, they have been reversed over time. And, um, you know, a lot of the policies are made for political expediency or to enable rent seeking. For example, you know, today we may have a policy that we are not going to import used cars into Pakistan so that the local car industry can grow. Tomorrow somebody can pass, you know, a notification, issue a notification saying, well, we are going to allow it for the next six months. So some people are going to make, you know, a lot of money and then you reverse it again. Um, So, you know, this kind of rent-seeking needs to be uh, disabled. We need to have long-term policies, well-thought-out policies if the country is going to, you know, develop a foundation for future growth. And you need a lot of investment into this. You make the point several times that the political troubles that Pakistan currently faces will be alleviated if its industry develops or redevelops. Is it possible? Oh, absolutely. I think some of the initiatives that we see from donors such as DFID or the World Bank or USAID, you know, which target poverty alleviation. But, you know, I mean, they essentially focus on micro uh, level projects. They will only achieve partial success if that. What you really need in order to build a foundation for uh, development in Pakistan, and I'm talking about not only economic, but also sort of, you know, political um, stability, economic stability, social stability, you need large scale industrialization in Pakistan, and you need to create an environment which is conducive to large scale industrialization in Pakistan. So you need to give these guys, you know, cheap electricity, you need to give them cheap gas or whatever type of fuel uh, employed, you need to give them an economic environment which is stable, a macroeconomic environment which is stable. Uh, you need to provide them with a pool of labor that they can hire from, a highly trained pool of labor that they can. And you also need to make sure that the domestic market in Pakistan develops. It's a country of 170 or 180 million people. There's a huge market out there. But right now, because they're illiterate, because they are poor, you know, it almost becomes a liability. You could easily turn it into an asset by investing in them. So the human capital there needs to be a lot of investment that goes into that. That was Dr. Kamal Munir of the Cambridge Judge Business School and an advisor to the Government of Pakistan on industrial policy. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School. 